You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are glad that you're here. So, my son is almost 13. I'm going to go back a few years and tell a story when he was about five, and we were in the process of building this building. I don't know if you know this, but uh, at the end of the month, we're going to celebrate seven years being in this building. It's pretty amazing. So, uh, but for the last six months of building this building, I basically lived here and uh, trying to get this thing done. So, we were uh, building the building, and my son was getting on my case because he said I was working too much. So as I was leaving for church one morning, uh, he said, Dad, you're going to work again. He's like, when are we going to spend time together? So I said, look, um, so I, I said, we will. So I come home, and then that Friday, I say to him, I say, look, I know I've been working a lot, but I want to make it up to you. How about tomorrow on Saturday, we spend the whole day together? And he says, uh, can I have 20 bucks instead? No, you can't have 20 bucks. And I said, look, I thought we were going to have fun, you know, just the boys. And he's like, okay, that's fine. Uh, could I have 20 bucks for spending the day with you? And I said, that's not how this works. And so anyway, so we spent the day together on Saturday. And then on Monday morning, um, he, before I leave for the office, he says, uh, he says, dad, if I read this book, can I have some money? One of the things you have to understand is I pay my kids to read, and uh, which if you ever adopt that, then that is the best money you will ever spend because eventually you will not have to pay them to read. And while you will have your kids throughout their childhood who have been reading books, by the time they're grown up um, and all their friends have been playing games on their phone, your, your, your kids will have been reading. They'll be running the world. Um, so anyway, just that's only if you want your kids to become third world dictators, but... Um, <laughs> You know, so, which I'm not, that's not a deal breaker for me. But anyway, so, but I do, I pay my kids to read books. And um, so, you know, and uh, he is, uh, you know, Xander's so far ahead and so much. And, um, but anyway, so he's five years old. He pulls out a 70 page book with no pictures that's at a third or fourth grade reading level. And he says, how much will you give me if I read this book? And I thought, he's never going to read this. So I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'll give you a dollar per chapter uh, if you read this. And so I leave knowing I'm not going to spend any money. And uh, so he starts doing his schoolwork, and then I leave for the office. And around 2 p.m., I get a call from my wife. I get a call from Xander, and he says, hey, Dad, uh, I finished the book. When can I expect to receive my payment? And I said, hey, kid, you're five, not a bill collector. So stop freaking me out with weird calls. And uh, so I say, put your mom on the phone. I put Carrie on the phone and I say, and she says, before I even say, she's like, Bob, he read the book. And I said, tell him to explain the story. She says, he already did. He totally got the book. And I said, all right. I said, put Xander back on the phone. I put Xander back on the phone. I'm like, okay, Xander, your mom is going to give you the eight bucks. I said, but can I just ask a question? You've been hounding me about money for the last, you know, all weekend. Why do you need these $8? And he says, well, do you remember on Saturday when we went to Toys R Us. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, I saw this game that Mia and Olivia would love, and I thought that I could just buy it for them. And I said, so this whole time, you've been trying to earn money 
so you could buy your sisters a gift while I have been busting your chops? Dude, I am so sorry. And he says, oh, it's no problem. And uh, dad, by the way, what does bust your chops mean? <laughs> I said, bust your chops is a parenting strategy. And that basically just means I'm a good dad. He's like, oh, well, then thank you very much for busting my chops. <laughs> my pleasure. And so, but listen, so here, here's what you got. My son that day was showing me what love looks like. And what happens for us sometimes is we think that the idea of love or the feeling of love gets us out of doing the actions of love when the opposite is true. Love should inspire us to do more. And sometimes we think, well, man, what is the minimum I have to do? That's not the question love is asking. Love is doing more than the rules or the law or, or, or that the law could require. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, one of the things that you'll find is whenever we're commanded to do something in the New Testament, we're always commanded to do something. It's always based on love, never based on law. It's fascinating if you go through it. So the reason I'm telling you all of this as we continue in our series, The Story, and we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been calling this series in the Gospel of Matthew The Story because we firmly believe if you will learn his story, it will change yours. And so last week, we kind of left off in the middle of a conversation where Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever given, he has been quoting the Old Testament law and saying, hey, this is what the law says, but this is what love requires, that love requires more. And we, he went, there's six that he says, we went through the first three, today we'll go through the, the other three. And he's going to talk about moments in which we really need wisdom. And for many of us, listen, when it comes to marriage, relationships, friendships, sometimes these things suffer because we operate based on law rather than based on love. And, and they're, they're what I like to call ledger people. And, and you know this, right? Maybe you know someone who's a ledger person or maybe you are one. We're going to try to cure you of that today. And, um, but these are people that are always trying to make sure that everything is even, right? Hey, I did the dishes last night, so it's your turn to do the dishes tonight. I took the garbage out last time. It's your turn to take out the garbage this time. I filled up the car with gas last week, so now you take out a second mortgage on the house so you can fill up the car with gas this week. Brian, oh, you like that? I have a ton of petroleum jokes. I'll start working them in. So now, now listen, that's a great way to get out of chores, but it's a terrible way to live because, listen, love does not keep score. Love isn't trying to get even. Love is always trying to do more than is required because that's really when love is seen. And so the question we need to ask is, I mean, how does this really work practically? I mean, how, how, what does love require in my daily life when I'm just kind of going about my business? How do I put that into practice? And what Jesus is going to do is give us three examples of how this plays out practically. So if you're wondering, how do I speak the truth to people, but do it in a, in, in a loving way so it doesn't break the relationship, then you got to listen to what Jesus has to say in, in our text today. If, if you're in, if you have a friend or maybe in your marriage or whatever, whatever kind of relationship with someone who is very demanding, then I want you to take notes with the thing that Jesus is going to tell us how to deal with that. And if you are in maybe an adversarial relationship right now, and maybe it's, you know, with a neighbor or maybe it's with a, a coworker or a former spouse or whatever it is, and that's kind of all gone sideways, Jesus is going to give us some wisdom as to what we need to do. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse 33, and here's what we read. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. 
But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair black or white. And of course, that was prior to Lady Clairol. And uh, But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. If you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things we're going to talk about when it comes to love requiring more. The first is this, is that love requires that I speak honestly, that I speak honestly. Now, this passage is really interesting because it's building off of the case law surrounding the Ten Commandments. So we're going to kind of build the case and then see kind of where the religious leaders were taking this as they went. So we're going to start in the Ten Commandments where we read this. Exodus chapter 20, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, by the way, a lot of times people think that this refers to like cussing and all that. There's other verses that deal with cursing and bad language. But um, when we talk about taking God's name in vain, it's really talking about invoking God's name in a meaningless way or invoking God's name to make something seem like, yeah, hey, I'm really going to do this. It's really powerful. Hey, God told me to do this. And you have no idea if God really told you to do it, but you say that because you think that's how you, how you win an argument. And so what's happening is, is that uh, people were invoking God's name, saying, I'm going to do this. And before God, I'm going to do this. Well, so Moses in the book of Deuteronomy is going to give a little more clarity and kind of explain and expound on what this original phrase of taking God's name in vain means. And he says it in, in Deuteronomy chapter 23. He says, that which has gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform for you voluntarily vowed to the Lord, your God, uh, what you have promised with your mouth. So what started out as, hey, don't use God's name in vain. That is, don't just invoke God's name because you think it bolsters your argument. Then it becomes, hey, and if you do uh, invoke God's name, you better do the thing that you said you're going to do because you have, you have said before God that you're going to do something. Well, the problem is, is that the religious leaders had developed this intricate system of vows and only some vows actually matter. And you had to know this kind of ever-evolving what was legally binding on your vow and what was not legally binding. And so at the end, uh, just prior to Jesus being arrested, he kind of gives this final confrontation with the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23, and he just kind of lets the religious leaders have it. But in one section, he explains this whole idea, and he says this, Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Now, I want you to see the progression that's happened is, remember, don't invoke God's name needlessly. That's how it started in, in the Ten Commandments. Then it was, if you invoke God's name, you better do it in Deuteronomy. Then it became, hey, you're exempt from, making whatever, from doing whatever oath you said because of a technicality. 
And Jesus is saying, you can't promise to do something and then somehow, because of a technicality, think it's okay to not do it because, well, I swore by the temple but not by the gold that's in the temple. That's not how integrity works. And when you say that you're going to do something, that should be the end of the conversation. Why? Because that's what love requires. When you got married, you made a promise before God that you were going to stay together no matter what. And your commitment was to stay in love without a plan B. Because the reality is, is that falling in love is easy. Have you noticed that? Falling in love is easy. You can fall in love with anyone. I've noted people can fall in love with people they've never even met. Isn't that strange? And if you don't believe me, ask a teenage girl if she loves Tom Holland. (gasps) I love Tom Holland. And I love that dude who played Thor. And, uh, and, it's, and, and, and by, which for the record, by the way, like really? Big muscles, long blonde hair, Andy's rich. Gosh, I hate him. And, um, and so, but listen, falling in love is easy. Staying in love is the tricky part because it has very little to do with feelings and everything to do with actions, intentions, and integrity. It has to do with yes being yes. No fingers crossed and no technicalities. And here's what happens. Sometimes we don't want to tell the truth, do the thing that we said because, and and, and when we aren't honest with each other, we create a separation in the relationship. And then kind of this is where the space between us is where the issues begin to build up. And that's why when relationships end, it's never, um, oh, it was just this one thing. No, it's always like, oh, well, it was a million things. It was death by a thousand paper cuts. But we never talked about those things until they kind of built up into an avalanche that spun out of control. And we've got to learn how to be honest with each other without destroying each other in the process. We have to learn how to speak the truth and love as the scriptures tell us. And, and um, when my son first started crawling, so he's about a year old, uh, my daughter Mia couldn't have been happier. Um, the, the problem is, is that Mia was about three, three and a half at the time, um, and then Xander was about a year old. And um, she was under the impression that because Xander was little, that she basically treated Xander like one of her dolls. So Xander was like her plaything, and so she would carry Xander around. Now, one of the rules in our house was four-year-olds are not allowed to carry one-year-olds. Now, you may want to imply that rule at your house, or you might be like, no, we have good insurance. Well, then good for you. So then, you know, hospitals are standing by. But... Um, but she had a very hard time obeying that rule, and so she'd pick him up whenever we weren't looking. So one day, Carrie steps out, um, and I'm watching the kids. Well, let me say watching the kids. I'm technically responsible for them. I was doing something else, but, um, but anyway, but I'm, I'm responsible. So I walk out of the room, and I say, Mia, you know, watch your brother. Don't pick up your brother. Okay. Um, two minutes later, and I, I come back because I hear Xander make a noise, and Xander is on the couch not on the floor. And so I, I come over and I grab him and I put him on the floor because as you know, kids, they don't have any depth perception. They will just crawl right off the couch because they don't, they don't even see it. And so, um, so now I, I, I put him on the floor and I say, Mia, how did your brother get onto the couch? So dad, I, I, it's, a, it's the darndest thing. Who knows? How can you even know anything about that? And I said, well, Mia, there's only three ways that this could have happened. Let's run through them together. So number one, 
you picked him up and put him on the couch. Number two, your, your brother is not only learning to crawl, he's also learning to fly. And then the third option, human teleportation. And I said, which of these do you think it is? And she's like, well, flying, Dad. I think you can fly. Yeah. And, 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 and here's the thing. My, my daughter is willing, is like with a straight face is telling me that my little brother is turning into a superhero before our eyes, before she tells me the truth. And I'm telling you, we do this at four and we do it at 44 and, and whatever age is that sometimes we will lie to each other and sometimes we do it with kind of, you know, noble intentions of saving the other person's feelings. But what we don't realize is we're dishonoring the other person because essentially what we're saying is they lack the maturity to handle the truth. And at the same time, we're acknowledging that we lack the maturity to share the truth in a way that people can receive because we've got to be able to do both. We've got to be able to receive the truth when it's told to us, and we've got to be able to share the truth without destroying the other person because truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. And this is why Jesus is telling us we've got to let our yes be yes and our no be no because the way that people can trust what we say is by having integrity and doing the thing that we say that we're gonna do. And listen, it's one of the most loving things that we can do is to be believable and trustworthy. So Jesus is gonna go on and he says this. It gets a little heavier. He says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And if you pause there and give me your attention, the second thing I want to tell you is that love requires that I win the relationship. Now, the passage that we just read is a difficult one because we are 2,000 years and half a world away, and what we think we read it is, okay, Jesus wants every person to be a doormat. Just somebody slaps you, let them smack you around a little bit more, and somehow that brings honor to God. And let's, um, let's back up a little bit, all right, before we reach that conclusion. And once you understand the context behind it, you won't reach that conclusion at all. When God established that law of an eye for an eye, um, which is, uh, anyway, it's called lex talionis in um, Latin. Not that that matters, but I figured I'd tell you that. Something you can talk about at lunch. So, but it's mentioned three times in the Old Testament, and it was not given to the average person. It was given to the courts for dispensing justice. And the reason for that is because what God was establishing was that the punishment should not exceed the crime. Because if, here's, and this is important, because if someone comes over and hits you and knocks out one of your teeth, are you, are you going to say, oh, okay, I need to respond, but I don't want to go overboard, so let me do a precision strike and just knock out one of their teeth. No, that's not the way it works. Someone hits you and knocks out one of your teeth, you're like, okay, it's on. And now you're like, I'm going to knock out all of your teeth. And this is one of the things that... Um, God is trying to do is rein in not only punishment, that the punishment should not exceed the crime, but also prevent people from taking matters into their own hands. Because by the way, someone knocks out one of your teeth and then you get say, and you say, I'm going to knock out all of his teeth. And then you knock out the other guy's teeth. And then the guy with no teeth is like, okay, well, I'm glad that matter is resolved. 
No, that's not the way it works. He says, you knocked uh, all of my teeth. I mean, I'm going to start crushing bones. And then once you crush some bones, the other guy then is going to, and this just keeps going until somebody dies. And what Jesus, he's taking a governing law that was meant to limit retribution and bring balance and justice and, and realize that we've got to be careful that how to bring balance interactively. Now, the problem is, is that the religious leaders had taken this to mean uh, and, and used it as a means to justify their personal violence um, with, with others. And this becomes a problem. An eye for an eye was about justice. But the problem is the best thing that the law can ever do is get us even. It cannot help us win the relationship. And this is why Jesus was criticizing the religious leaders and what they had done with this verse that was meant for the courts and they were utilizing it, as I said, to feel justified over their private violence because vengeance never gets us to where we want to go. It never gets us there. It never fixes the relationship. Now, as I told you before, if you haven't been around here for a while, I have three kids. And while being them having gotten a little bit older, uh, has been really, it helped make our life a lot easier because at one time we had three kids under the age of five in our house. And let me tell you something, that was a rough scene. And so I know some of you have one child and you're like, I oh, just, it's so much. It's like, <laughs> listen, one child, I mean, I can do that half asleep. I mean, you know, once you've had, so, but, and not to, but here's, here's the point is that um, I remember when I had three kids under five years old, I would talk to myself in the mirror every day and give myself a pep talk. And I'd be like, all right, buddy, listen, here's the reality. Things aren't going so well. <laughs> things are tough. You look rough. And, uh, but here's what I can tell you is that things are going to get better. I mean, it's not going to get better soon, but it is going to get better. And I would tell myself that every day. I didn't even know if it was true, but I just figured, I mean, I looked like someone who needed encouragement, so I gave myself some encouragement. And so anyway, but when you have really young kids, I mean, especially multiple kids, um, being a dad for years felt like being the perpetual referee in a hockey game. And so I spent so much time in my house breaking up fights, calling time out, sending people to the penalty box. That's two minutes for roughing. That's a five-minute major for fighting, high-sticking on you. And so all of that. And so what happened was is that all of our kids, we got all three of them had a chair in their room where they would have to go. And, and that was the whenever they did something wrong, like, hey, you can go with the chair. And so, which by the way, I don't even understand how that strategy works. It's like, oh, you did something wrong. I want you to go to the place where all your toys are, and I want you to sit there so you can learn your lesson. And, um, and my mom and my stepdad, they knew nothing about timeout when I was growing up. I, I wish they did. They only knew about knockout, and that was the only thing they, they were familiar with. And so, but timeout didn't exist yet. And so, but, uh, but one of the things that we make our kids do whenever we try to fix the problem is that we, one person has to apologize, and the other person has to say, I forgive you. Then we make them hug for 20 seconds. Now, that part's not in the Bible. That's really just more for my personal enjoyment because they hated it. And, um, and the more they hated it, it's and then they would, so it'd be like, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. All right, hug it out. If you go too fast, I'll double it, and then I count. And then they're like, one, two, like, there we go. Nice and slow. Keep hugging. I want to see hugging. And so anyway, listen, and, and that's that. Some of the parenting was just for my enjoyment. I'll be honest. And so, so anyway, so this is a while. This is years ago. 
all three of the kids get into a fight at the same time. And so they get into this big argument. Livy hauls back and hits her brother. And then Xander, uh, he's not allowed to hit, even if his sisters hit him, he's not allowed to hit his sisters. So he gets upset and he takes something that was Mia and he throws it and breaks it. And then Livy comes, I mean, Xander comes over and he's like, dad, and he starts telling me the story. And Livy goes, I'm going. And before we even talk to her, and she just puts herself in the chair. And I was like, this is amazing. And I told Carrie, I'm like, Carrie, they're disciplining themselves. If we could teach them to cook, we don't even have to take them on vacation with us. They'll just kind of like children of the corn in this situation until we get back. And so anyway, um, so I tell Carrie, I'm like, look, Livy's already dealt with this herself. And I'm like, how hard did this situation be? So I'm like, Carrie, I got this. So I'm talking to Mia and Xander and, and um, about, you know, Xander threw something and Mia's very upset about the thing that, uh, that he broke. And, and, and so I said, well, okay, what I meant to say was, Mia, I know you want to hit your brother. Okay, the problem is what I said was, Mia... Do you want to hit your brother? And so I meant to say, I know you want to, but I said, do you want to hit your brother? And in that split second, before I could reel the word, and Xander was looking at me like, wait, what? And so, and before I can fix this, before I can fix this, Mia comes in, she's like, boom, and hits Xander square in the chest. You know how Neo hits somebody in the Matrix and they go all the way across the subway? That's basically what happened. And so, I mean, poor Xander, he went down like Rocky in the first flight fight with Clubber Lang. And so, and, and so, and I, and I'm in shock. I'm like, what just happened? I had this fully under control. And so, and then my wife comes in and she's like, okay, I need you to go do something else right now away from here and uh, apparently like i'm not able to handle disputes of this magnitude and then uh she goes in she's like okay i know you wanted to hit your brother and and she goes into the whole thing like everything i meant to say but just got a little mixed up and then and listen and then they by the end they're like i'm sorry i'm sorry too and they're hugging it out and they're like hey let's go do something together and then and then we kind of forgot about olivia because she was in there by herself and so they're like oh yeah weren't weren't there three in this thing start like oh yeah there's the other one and so anyway (laughs) that part was a joke and so but listen here's the point is that kindness has the ability to accomplish what revenge just cannot do that no amount of revenge can accomplish what kindness can do. And this is why, I love what the Apostle Paul writes in uh, Romans chapter 12. He says it this way, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. And so to make the point, Jesus is going to illustrate it three different ways. The first is this, when he talks about Roman soldiers, that Roman soldiers could do this, any land that Rome was occupying, a Roman soldier could compel you to carry his or her bags for one mile. So a Roman soldier says, hey, carry my bags. You were required by law to carry their bags for one mile. And and Roman soldiers lorded it over people uh, in every area that they ruled. And so Jesus says this, if someone forces you to go one mile, go two. Why is that? Because when you walk the second mile by choice, both of them become by choice. And now you're no longer a servant who is compelled by law to serve. You're an equal. 
and you're helping them. Oh, you, you're having trouble with your bags? I'll carry you. Oh, you're done. No, no, no. I'll go another mile. You seem like you need the help. No, I don't need the help. No, but I got you. I'm going to carry the bag. And now, because you did the one, the second one becomes by, they're, they're both by choice. Then he says this, if someone slaps you in the face, he says, if, if, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, and, and notice that he's, he, the, the, with the specificity he's telling us this, if someone slaps you in the face, which by the way is the equivalent of someone spitting in your face today, um, the, when he says, well, then give him your other cheek also. Now, why, why would someone do that? Why, why, why would someone say, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to give you the other, the other hand. Now, here's how it works. Roman soldiers tended to be right-handed. Most people are right-handed. I don't know if you know this, but only one in every 250 people are left-handed. I happen to be left-handed. Anybody, who is, who is left-handed in this room? Yes, yes. These are my people right here, right on, left on. I mean, <laughs> that's good. So now here, by the way, let me just tell you another thing. Because not only because a few of you are left-handed, but you may know someone, this will save lives. But uh, 150 people in America die every year because they use something, uh, they try to do something that is right-handed in a left-handed way, like a chainsaw. Like you just can't, you can't use a right, because I don't know if you know this, but chainsaws are right-handed. And um, you know my favorite Christmas gift that I got this past year? I got three pair of left-handed scissors. Let me tell you something, I've been cutting stuff left and right. And so, because my entire life, I've been using right-handed scissors. And I've been cutting like I'm a four-year-old because that I just can't do any, you know, this guitar, this is just for playing guitar, for strumming. And so, but what I want to do is use the left hand. So, and, and you're like, I didn't know they made left-handed scissors. Yes, they do. But you've never cared. Because you've just been using your right-handed scissors in your right-handed way and just moving on with your life. And we've never said anything because we're good people. <laughs> but we've had it. And now we want left-handed scissors. And uh, so anyway, and so I have a left-handed pen as well. And you're like, that's not even true. Yes, it is. Look it up. And it's awesome. And it looks totally bizarre. But it's, it has like a little thing like that. Anyway, I don't have time to explain it. <laughs> just trust me. It's awesome. And uh, so anyway, back to the Roman world, is uh, Roman soldiers tended to be right-handed. So when, an e when they were in a fight with an equal, they would punch, they would use their right hand and they would punch, and so they would hit on the left side. That's just the way it worked. You're, you're facing your opponent, they, take their, they punch, they hit on the left side. Um, if they were striking an inferior person, they would take the back of their hand and strike on, on the right cheek. And they, that was just how they did it. And once again, in the Greco-Roman world, they made clear distinction between classes. And so a Roman soldier backhanding one of his subjects or someone that he believes is inferior, he's making a point that you are a second-class citizen compared to him. Jesus says, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, that is by smacking you with the back of their hand, offer them the left. Why? Because in doing so, you're demanding that they treat you as an equal. To go on. He says, if someone wants your cloak, that is your jacket, he says, offer them your tunic, which was kind of like a long t-shirt. 
um, which, by the way, once again, is, seems totally insane. And this is one of those moments um, where most of the time we'd be like, oh, you know, what the Bible is just, you know, out, you know, just saying too much or, or just, you know, exaggerating. Most of the time, listen, the Bible is, is being a little bit modest. And this is one of those moments where the Bible is being modest. You, in those days, you only wore two items. You wore your cloak, which was a jacket, and you wore your tunic underneath it. Jesus is basically saying, if someone wants your jacket, give them your underwear as well. Uh, because those are only two things that you wore. It's like, you have the fruit of the Spirit, who needs the fruit of the loom? So, so <laughs> feel free to use that at lunch. And so, and here's, and here's the point, is that kindness, which is the verb form of love, can do what revenge or retribution or an eye for an eye thinking can never do. And the thing that you have to decide, the thing that we all have to decide is do we want to win the argument or win the relationship? Because a lot of times we can't have both. How do we, how do we turn the other cheek practically? Um, so I'll tell you what happened to me a while back. I had somebody come up with me. Most people come up after the service and they have a question or something's going on, they want to talk. And uh, most people, incredibly nice, very encouraging. Um, but I had someone come up to me recently, uh, oh, not recently, but a, l- a little while back, super rude. And um, the thing you got to understand about me is that um, I, I'm a bit quick on my feet. And so he said something to me that was kind of rude. And I thought I had already like five responses in my mind. And I just was like, okay, I don't want to do that. And so instead, I said, man, that was really rude. Like, you don't know me at all. I know you listen to me and think you know me, but you don't know me at all. And you feel like you can say that. But here's what we're going to do. Let's try this again. So I'm going to have you walk back and then come back and introduce yourself. And we'll just make this take one. And this one didn't count. And he was like, what? And I said, yeah, what you said to me was really rude. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to let you do it again. So walk back, then come back in. And let's try it again. Introduce yourself. And, uh, and he's like, okay. And, uh, and so, and then he came back and he asked his question and whatever. And, uh, and it worked out great. And, 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 all. and here's the thing, is that he learned the lesson and we won the relationship. And, and here's the thing that's important. And this will work. I'm telling you, this will work with your kids. And, we, and we'll do this. Where someone will say something like, okay, let's try it again. Let's try it again without sarcasm. Let's try it again without the biting insult. And, and once again, what's happening is, and this will work with your kids, this will work with your friends, this will work with people that you work with, it'll even work with your in-laws. And you're like, I don't know, Pastor Bob, I don't have in-laws, I have outlaws. And uh, well, maybe you do. But the point is this, and once again, this is why the passage is misunderstood, because we think Jesus is saying, you know, what brings glory to God is for people to walk all over you. That's not what's happening. Letting people all over, uh, walk all over you is not healthy, and it's certainly not what Jesus is saying. Instead, Give people the opportunity to be respectful. And if they aren't, teach them to be respectful without you having to be disrespectful in the process. And the result is, it allows you to be treated the way you should be treated, and it wins the relationship, which is the point. All right, last thing that Jesus is going to say, and this is where it gets a little heavy. And verse 43, he says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the just, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only... 
What do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Last thing I want to tell you, and that is this, that love requires that I do good to all. Now, when, he said, when Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Uh, there's no passage that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the religious leaders taught. They believe that you uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, once again, that did not originate here. That originates in the book of Leviticus, which you'll see up on the screen in Leviticus 19. He says, you should not take vengeance nor bear a grudge against any of the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, the religious leaders understood that to mean you should love people who love God and then by nature hate the enemies of Israel. Now, there's a problem with that thinking. You know how you lead someone to become a lover of God? By loving them. And, and that's what God does. He sends rain and sunshine uh, on those who love him and on those who don't. Now, you've got to understand, this is an agrarian culture. So you could wake up in the morning uh, and till the ground. You could wake up in the morning early and scatter the seed. And you wake up early and work all day and work the land. But you cannot make it rain and you cannot force your way into sunshine. Instead, those were blessings of God that come to you, whether you're a Christian or not. It's what theologians call common grace. That is that God is gracious and loving with those who know him and with those who don't. And this, this uh, blessing comes to all people. Certain things in life, these certain blessings come to all people, whether they're Christians or not. Now think about this, and this is important. God blesses people who hate him. Before knowing God, we were far from God, not doing the things that please God. And his response was not to blast us into oblivion. Instead, he chose to love us into the kingdom of God. And now that we do know him, he's asking us to join his movement of loving people into the kingdom. The problem is that we don't naturally think this way. When we sin, and all of us do, we think about our circumstances. God, no one's perfect. There's so many factors involved. God, I'm asking you to forgive me. I can understand my situation. When someone else sins against us, none of those factors matter. Nothing can be added into evidence. You sinned against me, and now you're dead to me, right? But when we're the one that sins, well, God, you got to understand. So, and I, and I experienced this so vividly in my own life. One day I was picking my kids up from school, uh, Mia and Xander, um, when we sent them to school. Now we homeschool because we're Amish. And, um, but I was picking the kids up from school and this guy cuts me off so bad. And, and I was, um, and Mia was about six, Xander was four three or four. And, uh, and I was, and I was like, are you kidding me? And then I started telling the kids, I'm like, kids, I just want you to see, it's important for you to know there is never a cop around when there is an injustice taking place in this world. And so, because, you know, somebody cut me off. And, uh, and so, and I'm telling the kids, you need to know this about life. And so now I'm driving down, uh, Flamingo and I'm almost at Pines Boulevard and I'm trying to make a right. And um, I don't know if you know this, but that light at Flamingo and Pines was rated the worst intersection in America. And you know what the city of Pembroke Pines did when they got that information? They invested $150,000 to fight the study. And I don't know if there is any better definition of government spending than just like, no, this is really going to help because um, it's just, we're just going to fight that study. It's like, hey, here's a novel thought. 
maybe take some of that money and fix the intersection, okay? And anyway, so, but see, this is why I can't be in government because I don't know how to waste tons of money. So anyway, and if you like jokes about that, I got plenty of that to go. And so, well, anyway, so I'm trying to make a right. The line is super long to turn. So I get into the middle lane and I get close to the front. And then I say, I'm not waiting in this line. And so I make a turn, I get to Pines, uh, and I make the right turn from the middle lane onto Pines. The problem is the car that was supposed to make the right turn, they were not making a right, they were going straight. And I cut this guy off worse than anyone has ever been cut off since the world began. And then, and I look in the rear view, and I look in my rear view mirror and there is a cop at the light. And I, I don't know if you remember five minutes before I was saying that there's never a cop when there is an injustice in the world. And I was calling for the judgment of God on that guy who cut me off. Five minutes later, I'm like, God, please, please, don't, don't, let him, don't let him stop me. Lord, you know, you know, I said, you know, I'm in a hurry. You know the situation. These kids got to eat. You know how these kids get. And you know the problems they, they cause me. And so, and I'm saying all this stuff, right? And I'm like, God, I will, I, will, I will never make a right turn again. I'll be like the NASCAR drivers. They only go left. And so, and right? And so now, and I'm doing all this. And this is the point that Jesus is making. It's like, we want God to forgive us. Then listen, we, want, we need to be the kind of people who forgive. What separates Jesus' followers from everybody else, listen, is that we see the big picture. That so many people are trying to win the argument and we're saying, no, we want to be wiser than that. We want to build the relate. We want to win the relationship. Because ultimately that attitude of saying, I see the big picture, it's not just about this. It's not just winning this. It's about things in the relationship changing. Listen, that attitude is what changes relationships. That's why Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that doesn't mean that you're going to reach some state of sinless perfection. And if you ever get to the point where you think you're sinless, ask your spouse. She has a running tab of all of your errors. And so, but that word, the, the best way for us to understand it in our culture is to realize uh, the word perfect there is this Greek word teleos. Teleos is most of the time in the New Testament translated as complete or mature. It's this idea of ripening, right? It's complete, it's mature. And so the idea is, is when you think about it, in all these situations, like therefore, in light of all this, be perfect, be mature, be complete. Say, how, how would God respond in this situation? He would respond maturely. He would respond wisely. Okay, then that's what I want to do. But sometimes, listen, we don't respond maturely. We don't respond wisely. We respond emotionally and self-righteously because, listen, sometimes we're just addicted to being right. Listen, this is why so many couples call it quits. They got fixated on the rules and they're quoting laws and all this stuff to each other and they're missing the point completely. You cannot experience the benefits of love when you're quoting the rules to each other. This is why we have when we have difficulties at work and we start like we start quoting the job description to other people seeing beyond that i mean listen if the saying is true that hurt people hurt people then the only way to get hurt people to stop hurting other people is to start loving them beyond what the law requires and then and, and sometimes we'll balk and we'll say, oh, but they don't deserve it yeah i know that's why it's called grace cuz it's just getting what we don't deserve but our, our, the, the call to love isn't based on law. Jesus invites us on a journey where we love as he loved us. Because 
Being deserving isn't what repairs relationships. Kindness is what repairs it. And Jesus is telling us, listen, you can't live, you can't live with a scorched earth philosophy and think that somehow that's going to bring good fruit into your lives. And I, and I know this, we all have a story to tell about how we were wronged, and I've got my story, and you've got your story. We've all got a story about how we were wronged, and we were in the right to walk away, and people will nod and agree and pat us on the back and tell us that we're right. But in the whole scheme of things, the relationship will be lost. And just, we just have to recognize that we cannot have the fruit of love if we're holding on to the letter of the law. And so Jesus invites us on a different journey, to love others as he loved us. No loopholes, no workarounds, no fingers crossed, no one who gets excluded from that. In fact, we don't even get to exclude ourselves from that. Why? Because we love the way he loved us. And listen, when we love the way he loved us, the things that we could have held on to that break relationships, they begin to heal. They begin to mend. They begin to become whole. And lives are transformed by it. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you that we don't have to spend our whole lives keeping score. Instead, we can win the relationship and that you can transform our lives. You can transform the lives of the people around us if we just simply do what you're asking us to do. So God, that's our hope. Help us to be an agent of grace, of kindness in a world that lacks it so deeply and that people might see you in the process. And we prayed in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.